0: And we're reading verses 1 to 4. Ephesians 6, verses 1 to 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we pray for those of us with parents, for those of us with children, that you would grant to us now soft hearts to hear what some might hear as hard words. We pray that for your praise in the world and for the witness of your people. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A Christian father once wrote these words. My family's all grown up, grown, and the kids are all gone. But if I had to do it all over again, this is what I would do. I would laugh with my children more at our mistakes and our joys. I would listen more, even to the littlest child. I would be more honest about my own weaknesses, never a pretending perfection. I would pray differently for my family. Instead of focusing on them, I'd focus on me. I would do more things together with my children. I would encourage them more and bestow more praise. I would pay more attention to little things like deeds and words of thoughtfulness. And then finally, if I had to do it all over again, I would share God more intimately with my family. Every ordinary thing that happened in every ordinary day, I would use to direct them to God. family is the hardest thing to get right and the last thing you want to get wrong but there is a blueprint and God has shared it with us we come to the final chapter in the book of Ephesians today and the point of our passage is adopt God's blueprint for your family. Adopt God's blueprint for your family. Now, since Ephesians chapter 4, Paul has been telling believers in Jesus how they are to live. For Jesus. You remember last week Paul counseled the married couples. He counseled wives and husbands and he told them model your marriage on Christ and the church. And then this week Paul counsels children and parents. But before we come to our passage, I need to say here What I said at this point last week. And that is that this passage is for every person in this room. It's for those of you without kids. It's for those of you with kids. It's for those of you who will have kids. And it's for those of you whose kids flew the nest about 30 years ago. Why? Because it takes a church to raise a family. And those of us with kids, we need the prayers Of those of you who don't have kids, we need your support when we try to raise our children in a way that is thought to be anathema to the eyes and in the eyes of the world. And we need your challenge because we have blind spots, but you can't know what to pray, you can't know what to support, and you can't know what to challenge if you don't know what God's blueprint for the family looks like. And since we're living in a time when God's blueprint for the family is being burned on the fire of human pride, the church must showcase the glory of the family as God intended it. The world may argue with our beliefs. They should have no ground to argue with our lives. Adopt then God's blueprint for your family says Paul. And first, we're going to see God's blueprint for children. God's blueprint for children. Look at verses 1 to 3. Paul writes there, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. God's will for children is that they obey their parents in the Lord. Now, the children that Paul mentions there in verse 1 is likely to be young children or children who are still under their parents' roof. And we can be quite certain of that because in, chap- in verse 4, where Paul addresses fathers He tells them how they are to, quote, bring them up. And therefore, evidently, there was still some bringing up left to be done in the lives of the children that Paul is addressing here. But the fifth commandment cited in verse two there, honor your father and mother, does not come with a sell by date. Uh, So in other words, aged 5 or 55, we are all commanded to honor our parents in the way that we think about them, in the way that we speak to them, in the way that we listen to them, and in the way that we heed their instruction. The factory settings on our souls is to include honor toward our parents, regardless of age. Now, young people... Hear me when I say, I know, just as well as you do, that this is not cool. Uh, There are no punk rock anthems. There are no rap hits in the charts today that glamorize or celebrate obedience, specifically obedience to parents. And maybe the children of the, the first century were asking the question that children in the 21st century asked today, why should I? Why should I obey my mum and dad? Why should I honor my parents? And I say that because Paul provides two answers to that question in our passage. He doesn't just say, obey your parents, honor your mother and father, and leave that commandment just hanging in the air somewhere. Instead, what he does is place it on two pillars, two reasons, two lines of Thinking, verse 1, children obey your parents in the Lord for reason number 1, this is right. That is, this is natural. This fits with the way that God designed and ordered and created the world. Humans walk dogs. Dogs don't walk human beings. Children obey parents Parents don't obey children. This is right. But there's another reason, another pillar beneath this command, and it's the reason God gave when he gave the Ten Commandments, which you heard me read at the beginning of our time together. Honor your father and mother, verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the lands. That yes, obviously obedient children still die in car accidents they still tragically die of cancer but the point is an obedient child is far more likely to succeed in life the young person who listens to his mum and dad who tells him what to look for and what not to look for in a spouse avoids a world of regret and pain The young woman who who listens to her mom and dad instruct her and tell her how to manage her money is far more likely to know stability in her life. And the teenager who studies when his parents tell him to study is far more likely to build into his life habits, of diligence and hard work that will pay off later in the workplace. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 5 says, A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. And so since we all live today in an anti-authority, glamorizing, rebellion world, what we need to remember today is that God's law leads to life. That's why it was given to lead to life, to enhance your life, not to rob you of life. It's why you're reading the Psalms, Oh, how I love your law It's why the longest psalm in the Bible, the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119, is just a psalm exalting and worshipping God for the giving of the law. And even when the law does put things out of reach, it put things out of reach for the same reason that a parent puts the medicine cabinet out of the reach of their two-year-old. For their good, not for their harm. The law doesn't spoil our lives, it enhances and preserves our lives. For my birthday last year, uh, Gloria uh, booked me onto a, uh, a flying lesson. She said that she did that because she thought that I'd enjoy it, but personally, I think it had something to do with our life insurance policy. And so. And so the, the day came and we were sat there, me and this really experienced pilot, at least that's what he told me anyway, and we, we started up the engine after the orientation and we, we got right up into the air, flying all around the Wirral. We could see uh, all the towns beneath us. Well, imagine for a moment if while we were flying in this little airplane with propellers, uh, he had a heart attack and died. <laughs> and imagine if after a little bit of scrambling and avoiding a heart attack myself, uh, I, I somehow managed to figure out how to communicate with the people on the ground uh, with or, or via the, the radio. And imagine as they're walking me through what to do and what not to do in order to land the plane safely, I interrupted him and said, oh, rules. <laughs> rules, uh, boring. Who made you the boss? Of me, I'll fly this plane however I like. How much of a fool would I have to be to talk to the person on the ground like that? What would they think? And friends, God's commands to wives and to husbands and to children and to parents and then next week to servants and to masters, they're given to us by God because God wants us to land the plane of our lives, not crash the plane of our lives. And when we throw out the rules, that is what we do. We crash the plane of our lives. So let me say this to those of you who are still under your parents' roof and to all others as well, remember where God's law will take you. It will take you to life. And remember where rebellion will take you to, the grave. The marketing of rebellion as sexy, as glamorous comes from none other than the serpent. It is bait on the end of a hook that leads to death. And however hard we may find this, even as believers, even as people with brand new hearts, with the law of God written on our hearts, however hard we find this, let's remember this. From a human perspective, this would have been much harder for Jesus Christ. Now, why do I say that? The reason we struggle with listening to our parents and obeying our parents and heeding their commands and and bowing to their instruction is because we believe we know better than them. It's because we believe that we see what they can't see. And 99% of the time that isn't true. They see what we can't see. But in rare occasions, in rare instances, maybe we do. And maybe we can see what they can't see. But consider this, as a child, Jesus would always have known better than Mary and Joseph, and yet he honored them anyway. He knew when they were wrong. He knew when they were being short-sighted. He knew when one was being selfish and putting him or herself before the other. He knew when they were being naive. He knew when they were sinning. He knew when they were deceived and he honored them. Not only that, but he obeyed his father to the point of death, even death on a cross. And even when he was face down in the garden of Gethsemane with blood pouring down his face, he cried out, Father, let this cup pass from me but he followed that up with nevertheless not my will but your will be done and he obeyed the father all the way to calvary he committed no sin and neither was deceit found in his mouth and yet he bore the sin of many that he may intercede for the transgressors he interceded for those who have disobeyed their parents he interceded for those who do disobey their parents. And his obedience is the only hope for their disobedience. His obedience atoned for our disobedience. And therefore, however hard it, you may have it in your home, look to the obedience of the one who never sinned. Look to the obedience of the one whose obedience atones for your disobedience. And let his life of obedience put all that you've been called to into its right perspective. Adopt God's blueprint for your family. We've seen God's blueprint for children, but next we're gonna see God's blueprint for fathers. God's blueprint for fathers. Look at verse four. Paul writes there, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What is God's blueprint for fathers? What is his will for fathers? Well, it's both that they are to restrain and exercise their authority for the good of their children. That's the blueprint for fathers. Now, if you were here last Sunday morning, you heard me say that Paul's instruction to husbands, flew in the face of cultural norms back then. You remember that? Paul said to husbands, husbands, love your wives, love them sacrificially, love them intentionally, and love them affectionately. And that was a total unknown to husbands back then. Infidelity was thought to be an inevitability for the husbands back then. And the same is true of Paul's instruction to fathers here. The command... For fathers to both restrain and exercise authority in the right way was a total unknown in the culture of the first century. Someone wrote this, By the Roman law of Patria Potestas, a father had virtual life and death power not only over his slaves but over his entire household. He could cast any of them out of the house, sell them as slaves or even kill them, and be accountable to no one. A newborn child was placed at its father's feet to determine its fate. If the father picked it up, the child was allowed to stay in the home. If the father walked away, it was simply disposed of, much as aborted babies are in our own day. Discarded infants who were healthy and vigorous were collected and taken each night to the town forum where they would be picked up and raised to be slaves or prostitutes and we actually have in our possession a letter written by a man called Hilarion to his wife Alice in in the year 1 BC listen to what he writes to his wife heartiest greetings Note that we are still even now in Alexandria. Do not worry if when all others return, I remain in Alexandria. I beg and beseech you to take care of the little child. And as soon as we receive wages, I will send them to you. If you have another child, if it is a boy, let it live. If it is a girl, expose it. And by expose it, he means throw it outside in order for her to die of exposure and Seneca a Roman statesman said this we slaughter a fierce ox we strangle a mad dog we plunge a knife into a sick cow children born weak or deformed we drown and in direct opposition To the accepted norms of his day, Paul tells fathers how they are to raise their children. And the first thing he says, rather surprisingly, I think, is this, restrain yourself. That is, restrain the improper use of your authority. Verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger or, as your translation might have it, do not exasperate your children. And this is what fathers sometimes do today in the name of discipline. They, they crush the personality out of their cho- children, either by refusing them to let them be themselves or by forcing them to be someone else. And they're pulling, back, they're pulling their children back from the world, sort of like a slingshot. The more that they seek to pull them back, the further into the world, they'll fly in the end. But I am convinced that the vast majority of fathers today are on the polar opposite end of the spectrum. They don't so much need to hear, restrain your authority. Instead, they need to hear, use your God-given authority because discipline in today's world has been thrown out of the window and the result has been a societal train crash Paul commands fathers here to bring up literally to nourish the word is, their children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And when we as fathers don't discipline our children, we are allowing them to do more damage to themselves than they could ever do with a nuclear bomb. A nuclear bomb will damage and destroy their bodies. Sin will destroy their souls forever. There is no limit There is no cap on how much damage sin will do to the soul of your child. It's why the Bible says, whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. And the father who says therefore today, I spared the rod because I love my son, is in actual fact saying, I love myself so much, I hate my son. To tolerate sin in your child's life is to tolerate a cobra in your child's bed. Sin is so serious, it took the death of the infinite and eternal Son of God to atone for it. How can we be indifferent to it in the lives of our children? So let's say that you say to your child, all right, sweetheart, or all right, guys, time to turn off the TV, dinner's ready now, come to the table, and they say to you, no, I don't want to. Or or, or let's say you're you're baking in the kitchen and you say to your children, don't eat that because it needs to cool down first. But then in the corner of your eye, you, you see them reaching for it and taking it. Or let's say your child consistently and habitually answers you back. If you do not sternly discipline your child in that moment, you are teaching your child that sin is no big deal. And the threatenings of God will have no effect in the life of your children because your threats are always empty. If there is no appropriate fear Of you, there will be no appropriate fear of God before your children's eyes. Fathers, I know how hard this is, but for the sake of your child's soul, take what I'm saying to heart. You can be angry at me, and you can decide that you don't like me anymore. That's perfectly okay. You cannot hate what God is saying here in his words suzanne wesley uh, she raised 17 children apparently the frosts have got a ways to go and um, and and she said this she said the parent who studies to subdue self-will in his child works together with god in the renewing and saving a soul the parent who indulges it does the devil's work makes religion impractical salvation unattainable And all that in him lies to damn his child, soul and body forever. Several years ago, uh, a pastor and his wife were were in the process of adopting two boys. And I've read you parts of their story before. uh, But one day they had a a visit from someone from the adoption agency uh, to give them a little bit of, of parental advice. And I think we could boil down her advice when it comes to discipline like this. Don't discipline ever. So basically what she said was, don't use negative words like don't, even though she just did that. Uh, don't, don't use words like stop. And so this pastor said to this woman, okay, so, so, so what if my child is running into the road I, I, are you saying I shouldn't yell and shout to him, stop, don't, don't go any further? And she said, yeah, that, that, that's what I'm saying. Instead, what you should do is you should uh, distract him. So, so pick up a red ball and, and say, hey, hey, look, look at this red ball. And, and, and if you're in the supermarket and, and your sons are, are throwing a tantrum, What you want to do, this person said, is repeat back to him over and over again what he's asking. You you want a cookie? You want a cookie? You want a cookie? You want a cookie? And when she left, this pastor said to his wife, I just get the feeling that if we were to implement her advice in 20 years, we're going to be on a pavement somewhere saying to our 20-year-old, You just robbed a supermarket. You just robbed a supermarket. You just robbed a supermarket. But I'm convinced that if we are to adopt God's blueprint for our family, fathers, we need to insist that our children obey immediately, completely, and happily. Immediately, completely, and happily. But as well as disciplining them, Paul says here, we have to teach them. It's not enough to just say, stop doing this and here's why. But it's also needed to teach them the truth. And discipline and teaching sort of function as the two legs of a pair of scissors. You remove one from the equation and the whole doesn't work. So let me encourage you, fathers, open the Bible in your home every day. Get it open with your kids every day because they need more than morality. They need the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, if you do discipline your children and you do confront the sin in their lives, for a time, their consciences will be pricked. And therefore, you've got to teach them where they can find forgiveness. You've got to tell them that there is a fountain open for sin and uncleanness. That there is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief, the disobedient child, the incompetent parent rejoice to see that fountain in his day. And there my I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. Their sin has to be confronted and their consciences have to be relieved. And if you're here today and maybe your conscience has been pricked because you've been confronted with the way that you've treated your parents, you've been confronted with the sins of omission when you as a father have not disciplined your children to the point now where sin is just normal and just an expected part of your day, Friend, you need to come to the fountain that has been opened for sin and uncleanness. You don't need to minimize your sin. You don't need to deny your sin. You don't need to shoot the messenger, whether that's me or the apostle Paul. You need to own your sin before the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and receive his forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And my last word to you parents today would be this, plead with God to give you wisdom from on high. Because the balance, the wisdom, the understanding of the human soul needed to parent a child is is impossible, humanly speaking. I've told you before that when Gloria and I were dating, I said to her, by the way, uh, I'm thinking I want about six kids. And she said, we're not having six kids. And then we had one kid. And I said, we're not having six kids. (laughs) We get it wrong a lot, don't we? So therefore, having first confessed our sin and having received forgiveness, let's ask God to help us. We want to land the plane, don't we? We don't want to crash the plane. And what I found is the God who designed the blueprint is so kind and gracious to the parents who are trying to figure it out and are trying to implement it in their lives. If any of you lacks wisdom, and I do, just by the way, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. And by his grace and enabling, we will, bit by bit, little by little, be able to adopt God's blueprint for our families. Amen. Amen, I wanna pray for us and then we're gonna worship together. Father in heaven, forgive us. Forgive us when we've gone too far and forgive us when we have not gone far enough. Lord, we pray that in a world that hates your blueprint for the family, we pray that you would give us grace to be able to shine the glory of the family as you intended it, into a crooked and perverse generation. The world hates what we believe, but Lord, we pray that we would silence them by the way that we live. Help us, Lord, we pray. Give us grace. Give us wisdom because in and ourselves we lack so much of it and we pray, Lord, that you would give to us the ability to do right by our children for your glory and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's stand and let's worship our great God together.